to tonight's episode of the Republic of Middle-Aged Men. Uh, as usual, you have your three hosts. Uh, you have myself, Tim. You have Lachlan. Howdy. And Ruben. G'day. Uh, guys, we're back. We're back again. Uh, tonight I am drinking this uh, 20-year-old beverage um, brandy. That's the word I was looking for. <laughs> so I'm going to pour this. Right now, you'll be able to hear this on the microphone. Yeah. Yum. <laughs> and uh, that's that's me ready for the night. Uh, for those about... uh, listening in audio only, that was a special treat right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how about you, Lachlan? I'm actually uh, <clears throat> breaking my, my typical here and uh, having a beer for a change, so... Kosciuszko Pale Ale and it's doing me fine nice nice mm. I haven't had that have you had that before Ruben I've not no what, what's the uh... there's just too there's too many beers out there now particularly like... Pale Ales there's about a thousand of them yeah yeah let's be positive, I, um... though. that's a good that's a good problem to have that's right yeah <laughs> it's true it's true <laughs> how, how about you Ruben what are you drinking oh I've decided to branch out and try a different spice rum. I was really enjoying that Captain Morgan, so I picked up this today. I can't get it in front of the camera. Yeah, oh, it's cracking. It's good. Cracking black spice rum. Yeah, you yeah. tried that one a week or two back. Yeah, I got that one in the in the cupboard downstairs. It's a good one. So I thought I'd give it a punt. Yeah, I, like I haven't it actually a lot. tasted it yet. Spice it rum. <clears throat> Mm, there she blows. <laughs> <laughs> if you're going to do this whole episode talking like a pirate, that's going to be uh, an interesting thing. <laughs> I don't know whether it'd get us more or less views. <laughs> so it was the uh, the Kraken, a uh, ancient Greek uh, beast of legend, was it, or uh, is it from uh, some other cultures? I think it, I think, yeah, I think it is Greek from Greek mythology. Yeah, it feels alright. It feels right. That's an opinion. We'll get into that later. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Foreshadowing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's pretty heavy again. I know we say this every week. <laughs> it is. It's like we're suddenly surprised that, oh, the same thing that happened last week happened this week. <laughs> <laughs> you guys starting to get the impression that we've bitten off more than we can chew? <laughs> I think it'd be uh, it'd be fine when we finally finish this uh, book and podcast in a, another year's time. It'll be all good. Yeah, next <laughs> next week we're going to do next. The next book's going to be Cat in the Hat or uh, Green Eggs and Ham. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean tonight's conversation about opinion would probably be applicable to Green Eggs and Ham. <laughs> Oh dear. Oh dear. So, we'll see what the outcome of tonight's conversation is. Um, look, at, at the conclusion of tonight's conversation, however, we will be approximately halfway through the number of books uh, that are contained within this book, which I think is a pretty good achievement. And, hmm. you know, the, the amount of time required to get the value out of it, it it's certainly high. And, I, you know, I, for one, feel that even when I get to the end of it, there'll be lots of value in there that has gone unnoticed. 
and mm. uh, you know like a good movie I think if you I feel like if we go back to book one or book two we'll see some things sort of pointing to what I just is discussed further into the book and, and oh, there'll yeah. be like little light glows like oh that's right there's this thing here now that's pointing to this is where it's going to go later so yeah very much so and I think the way we're doing it I, I, I think I said this the other week I think it, I probably, we're probably getting a lot more out of it than if out of individually just sat down and read it cover to cover 100% yeah I got no yeah. doubt that uh, you know uh, sort of tackling it in this way you definitely pull more out of it that's for sure yeah and um, I actually saw uh, one of my cousin's kids yesterday um, who tried to give the podcast a, a go but it was just too big <laughs> and um, which made me laugh uh, but it made me think maybe we should do at the end of this a, a punchlines episode where we could have like a, what's the punchline for book one what's the punchline for book two where we all sort of just try and get like the key this happened then this happened then this happened and sort of not summarize the book but summarize the 10 books of just this is the punchline from book one these are the two punchlines or three punchlines from book two it's so still be like a five episode saga yeah, yeah. <laughs> no but like have the challenge of we, we've only got like five minutes for each punchline for each book to get the punchlines out like just bang set the clock boom boom and just <laughs> bash it out see how we go yeah not a bad idea I'll I think it'd be idea. good I think it'd be a good way to conclude it and and see if we remember what we read you know two years earlier when we first started <laughs> <laughs> we were right, middle aged men back then and uh, if we're all old men now you know <laughs> by the time we finish this book yeah it'll be like uh, <clears throat> someone someone will come up to us and go you know what's the journey like to becoming a, a an old man like they do at the start of this book and it'll just be just just don't start that book inside that book and you, you'll you'll get some some different experiences that have been middle-aged <laughs> I've been around I've read some books I wouldn't recommend it <laughs> yeah. alright well uh, let's get into it so we pretty much last week finished off where uh, let's have a look the life of the protectors was made out to be far better and nobler than that of Olympic victors. Hmm. Um, so we're going to go straight into the the, the um, next part of the conversation uh, through uh, book five here. Uh, so I'll I'll just read this little bit here and then, and then we'll open it up. So the the inquiry I said has yet to be made whether such a community be found possible as among other animals, so also among men, and if possible, in what way possible. You have anticipated the question which I was about to suggest. There is no difficulty, I said, in seeing how war will be carried on by them. How? Why, of course, they will go on expeditions together, and will take with them any of their children who are strong enough, that, after the manner of the artisan's child, they may look on at the work which they will have to do when they are grown up, and besides looking on, they will have to help and be of use in war, and to wait upon their fathers and mothers. Did you never observe in the arts how the potter's boys look on and help long before they touch the wheel? Yes, I have. 
And shall potters be more careful in educating their children and in giving them the opportunity of seeing and practicing their duties than our guardians will be? The idea is ridiculous. <laughs> so this is where they begin. They go, well, now that we've established this, we've got to uh, make sure the apprenticeship for war works properly. Mm. Uh, so what are your thoughts on that, Lachlan? Uh, how would you like to have gone and seen Greek war at uh, the ripe old age of eight? Yeah, look, I, I think to our, uh, <clears throat> our modern sensibilities, it's probably... Um, a pretty hard sort of thing to imagine. Um, I, I suppose in that day, um, you know, life and death struggles are much more a part of life and, uh, you know, real life and death struggles. So I think um, it's probably not that, you know, disconcerting for them in some senses. I, I think that would have been uh, yeah, quite understanding. And I think the parallel that he sort of draws there around you know, gaining the experience like the, you know, the, the son of the potter or something like that and uh, effectively, you know, starting out by getting some exposure so that you can understand the craft of war, it makes a lot of sense. Um, mm. It, it kind of reminds me of uh, the start of Game of Thrones where, uh, spoiler alert, <laughs> uh, but where um, Eddard Stark is on the way to execute a man of the night's watch and he takes his uh, son who i think at the time is about eight years old and um his wife's like oh i think he's a bit young and he's just like winter is coming and he won't be a boy forever <laughs> and it's just it's a mad scene but um it kind of feels a bit like that like just mm. they need to know what they're in for and they need to know from a young age yeah, look, I think, you know, this is an age where uh, kids are taking on more adult duties at a, at a lot younger age than what kids are these days too. So, you know, we have to put a different lens on things. Um, you know, you're probably up in like part of the workforce by the time you're about 12 or something at that age. Um, you know, you're going to be in there like they're sort of saying, you know, helping your dad or whatever it is, you know, in, in your uh, um your family craft or whatever it's going to be anyway like from the time you can probably walk so um well yeah like even my gran who's still with us um talks about her her parents used to own a poultry farm mm. and you know but when she was old enough to go to school she would do things with that you know making sure the that like this egg rotator tool that would turn the eggs and you know all these different responsibilities she had with feeding all the chickens and all that sort of stuff yep. Like it's just you just did it, um, so yeah, not for sure. So um, so you can see why they'd sort of land on that kind of thing. But I think it makes sense for the time. Um, it does, and they're not completely heartless about it. Um, you know, they talk about how you know we need to balance that with a little bit of safety, uh, and uh, yeah. ensure that they <clears throat> know how to ride a horse. Uh, so mm. they can then have a a fast horse so, <laughs> so in the event of uh, the war not going in their favour they can flee and uh, get out of there yeah I mean more or less they're saying that they want them to be sort of like I suppose like guided spectators and they talk about pairing them up with an experienced veteran who's going to lead and teach them and you know that makes a lot of sense because you know they're 
sitting up on the hill and they're watching the, the battle come together and they say, oh, you can see how they're circling the troops around this way and see how they're flanking there. And like from an education and almost like living classroom thing in the art of war, you can understand how it would be, you know, give them an advantage over other, um, you know, competing neighbours or whatever it's going to be. I think it'd be pretty disconcerting for the enemy too. Like, provided the enemy could see, it's like you rock up and I don't know, it's oldie, old, olden time days, so they line up opposite each other. And, like, you know, you rocked up and you've marched for three days or whatever, and there's your enemy, and they got their kids up on the hill. Spectating. You know, there's, there's an old man with them, like they've showed up to watch, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you'd be yeah. thinking, how confident are these guys? They've got the women and the oh. children up on the hill. Looks like they're cooking a barbecue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they've got a goat on the spit and, uh, you know, it's sitting down, got the rug out. It's going to be a show. It, yeah, and the old veterans, right. it's like, uh, you know, basketball commentators. Like, listening to Charles Barkley and Shaq on the sidelines. Like, yeah, all right, these guys are coming for the dunk. <laughs> yeah. yeah, look, I, it's not a terrible idea. And I think it makes sense in the time. Yeah. Yeah, I for think sure. so. Um, but they, yeah, they still want to protect the women and children. So I think last week or the week before we had an episode called think of the women and children. So they're still, still doing that. Um, still thinking about how they can keep those guys safe, but also have them learn and have that education. So that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. So yeah, once they sort of check that little thing off and they, they argue successfully that like any trade, you need to learn from a young age mm. um, and move on to the next point of conversation well they had a couple couple more rules I think they sort of dumped on us there too mm. um, it's about cowardice I think was the next point oh yeah that's right and saying rewards uh, for the brave and uh, punishments for the cowards yeah so like saying like any cowards like laying down their weapons um, would result in the guardian being busted back down to the uh, you know husbandman or you know merchant's class or something yeah and, I thought uh, they'd be dead man I thought that'd be it came over for them but they actually give yeah, them a second chance which is interesting I I guess they'd probably figure there's probably more um, I don't know shame in still sort of in <laughs> being living, there you know yeah. the former guardian and now you're in there like I don't know hocking something in the markets or something <laughs> maybe they think there's more value in a merchant than in a corpse yeah maybe agree. yeah yeah but yeah um, that, that almost sounds like an old-timey proverb that one yeah. <laughs> um yeah and then but the, the thing i thought was pretty funny was um they're like uh he who allows himself to be taken prisoner may as well be made a present of to his enemies <laughs> he is their lawful prey and let them do what they liked with him. <laughs> yeah, they're like, and they're like, like, we're not going back for him. If they surrender, well, you know, that's on them. Yeah. Sealed your fate, There's buddy. no rescue. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And, um, but then the next one's even more funny. It's, uh, you know, um, receiving the right hand of fellowship. And uh, what is your proposal? Uh, but you'll hardly agree to my next proposal. What is your proposal? That he should kiss and be kissed by them. <laughs> Uh, this is for the hero, is it? Yeah, for the heroes. It's oh, like most certainly. Glaucon's the question, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, it most... was Glaucon. 
The deviant. <laughs> Glaucon's a deviant. I'm telling you. He is. Going to come up. It's going to come up in a minute. <laughs> so he goes most certainly, and I should be disposed to go further and say. Let no one whom he has a mind to kiss refuse to be kissed by him while the expedition lasts, so that there if be, uh, if there be a lover in the army, whether his love be youth or maiden, he may be more eager to win the prize of valor. <laughs> I think this is like the origin of uh, what happens on tour stays on tour, and uh, <laughs> I think you're right. For it. <laughs> I think you're right. And uh, so Socrates goes, capital, uh, that the brave man is to have more wives than others uh, has already been determined, and he is to have first choices in such matters more than others, in order that he may have as many children as possible. Agreed. <laughs> so they're like, yeah, we'll let him have that because he's going to breed more offspring. So it's good. Right. Yeah, I wasn't quite, quite sure how it was going to yeah fit in with their... Uh... Yeah, the thing that we were sort of talking about last week where they're trying to like arrange the festival as kind of like the time when they get their guardians together to breed for their uh, yeah um, their plans and all that sort of thing and it might uh, throw a bit of a uh, this blows all uh, that out of the water doesn't it <laughs> well yeah because then you, you would know when your kids were born because it's like hang on it was nine months from that expedition yeah. <laughs> they killed those 11 guys with yeah and I was the only guy that right. got the, uh, the, the, the go but the um the it's a smart move though because you know maybe at the festival you didn't realize that that those people were kick-ass warriors but then they go do this war and they're like beasts and you're like dude all right breed away because yeah. <laughs> you might well, die soon so it might yeah it might drive some of the ones that didn't you know didn't get the the maidens they want back at the festival might drive them to fight a little harder yeah so if I'm, if I'm not going to get lucky at the festival and I'm just going to have to prove myself in battle I'm just a kill for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's right. Uh, one of the things I talk about there, uh, which is interesting, is the um, the, the right hand of fellowship. And uh, sorry, this is like kind of sidebar, but um, I was curious. I just looked that up, and um, yeah, because that's kind of the forerunner to you know shaking of hands and that sort of, sort of basically oh, yeah, right that. hand. Yeah. Oh and, wow! Um, it goes back yeah, that like far. A, yeah, so it's yeah symbol of trust and uh, kinship. Um, which then sort of become like adopted by the Christians sort of later on and what's well, still here today you know we still see that as a sign of trust and I'm bearing no arms and so I'm offering you my right hand of friendship you know I'm, un- I'm unarmed I'm giving you my arm so yeah mm. yeah thought that was interesting probably why but, it's uh, uh, dishonorable to shake hands with the left hand too yeah you've got the knife on you yeah yeah but uh, anyway, sorry, sidebar, but um, more or less that they're saying at the special occasions and all that sort of thing, they're going to honor the guardians uh, according to their measure in battle, either with men, women, hymns or other distinctions. So, uh, you know, wine will pour and uh, meat will overflow your plate and all these sort of things. It makes me think of, uh, do you guys ever watch Spartacus, the TV show Spartacus? No. Oh, parts of it, yeah. Yeah. There was, um, was that was that was that one that was just like slow mo after slow mo and and CG blood yeah. everywhere. They did yeah. so after season one because the main actor um, got wrecked health wise. They went to a prequel and they had a character in that called Gannicus, and he was boss. But like, all he would do when he would win was just get drunk and hook up with chicks. He was just like the <laughs> rock star. 
<laughs> this is like this is that that's exactly the example they're talking about here it's just this guy that's like i am the beast where's my alcohol where's my women <laughs> it's very funny <laughs> Um, yeah. So from here, they, uh, they're they sort of talking about what happens to uh, the Guardians that, that uh, die either, uh, well, they start off talking about in battle mm. and how they're going to commemorate um, those Guardians. So um, they talk about giving them special distinction um, and they'll have the graves of heroes um, being turned as such. Um, and I came across, you know, I do love these things when we, uh, when we do a reading around uh, a word that I don't understand. So I had to go and research one. Um, which was um, uh, sepulture, which was oh, sepulcher. Um, yeah. Is that how you say it? Sepulcher. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's how yeah, I okay. say it. I mean, I mean, I called that dude Thrasymachus, and you know that was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I just kept saying uh, sepultura in my head when I kept reading it, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> I've only um, ever heard it pronounced sepulcher. But maybe, maybe who knows? Anyway, yeah. So, what is it? What is a sepulcher? No idea. Uh, well, it's just a burial in interment <laughs> rites. So, uh, um, yeah. So, but I, I've not come across that word before. So that's always uh, fun for me. I go and uh, go and do my research. Um, but yeah, I think really, that one comes up in the new. That term comes up in the New Testament. I think that's the only reason I've heard it. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah. So they're just talking about the fact that they're going to uh, to reward those who die uh, in battle. But then they also actually point out that. Um, you know, the old dogs who survived the battles and have, uh, you know, done well, they deserve the same sort of accolades as well in death. So uh, they agree that they're going to uh, reward them both um, and, uh, you know, ha- have the uh, internship of heroes so that people can, uh, you know, pay their respects in the future and all that sort of thing, have their glory. It's the, equiv- the equivalent of our, you know, state funerals and things like that. Yeah, I think so. I think so. And, and they yeah, raised their statue in ancient, uh, ancient Greece, didn't they? Throw a statue up. It'll be fun. <laughs> that lasts forever. <laughs> yeah. um, and they kind of like uh, get a bit of a roll on knocking off a couple of other topics here while they're sort of on, on the go. So uh, they were talking about uh, slaves and slavery from battle. Do you guys remember this bit? Yeah. I don't um, actually remember the bit of slaves. I do. So they're, they're saying that um, if they're fighting another... They don't use the word Greek. The barbarians. Or well, the barbarians, but... Um, what is it when it's the same? Oh, Hellenic. Hellenic. The, Hellenic for the Greek people. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they start off with, if you're fighting a Hellenic army, then you're not to take slaves, um, because you know it's morally wrong, and they they explain why. But if you're fighting the barbarians, then go for it. Mm. Yeah, I, I think they were sort of saying that they uh, basically don't want to have any hard feelings uh, with their neighbours. And they, they get onto that obviously in a little bit further time, but that was a bit of foreshadowing that, uh, you know, they don't want to sort of like rub salt in the wounds, I think. Um, yeah, I thought it was interesting. Um, mm. And, and it, it, probably pretty counterculture for how they would have been thinking at the time, I would have thought. Um, well, I think slaves are part of the spoils of war back then. It was just like yep. if you captured slaves, it's like capturing a chest of gold. It's just something that you mm. brought back and then you could get profit from it. So, you know, yep. to say that, well, in a Hellenic fight, you don't get that reward, it mm. probably will work with this Republic because they're not in it for the financial gain anyway. Yeah. 
Sorry. What do you think, Ruben? Yeah, I don't know. They they seem okay with slavery. <laughs> um, <laughs> just casual. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like whatever. <laughs> no, like he's it's sort of a little bit not. It's, I wouldn't even call it similar, but um, if you read the Old Testament, they had different sort of rules for Jews as they did for non-Jews. You know what I mean? It's almost like a kind of in-group preference. It's like okay. if you're gonna, you know, if you're gonna, uh, you've got to sort of protect your own almost culture or, or race, whatever. Yeah, no, you're right. I hadn't thought of that, but that's definitely there too. Hmm. Um, and then, sort of from that, is that where they then move on to the uh, the looting rules? Burning and yeah, yeah. I, I don't quite know how they came to that conclusion. I don't know whether one of you guys had a better handle on it, but. Essentially, they come to the conclusion that their their armies are not going to ravage land or burn houses. Oh, that was a little bit further on, I think. Um, this was just about like where they're sort of saying like on the battlefield, and you've slain an enemy, and that you're sort of pilfering their pockets to see if they've got any gold on them or. Uh, oh yeah, right. What did they say about that? Well, they're just saying that it basically it's a distraction we don't need, and that other armies have lost battles because their soldiers are too busy trying to steal from the guy they just knocked off. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, you need to be focusing. And aside from that, you know, the, the Guardian shouldn't be touching, you know, gold and silver and all that sort of stuff anyway. So we'll just make looting. It sounds like they're, they're happy if they're like looting um, armor or arms, I suppose. Oh, because um, you're going to so use it immediately. It's useful, right? You know, if, in the craft of war. They don't go into too much detail, but that's the impression I got that it's okay if you're just like taking armor or arms, but um, but not to be like raiding their pockets for uh, you know gold and knickknacks or rings or whatever else they may well have. Um, and so they basically outlaw that, which yeah. it sounds like that's kind of again kind of that spoils of war thing that like most soldiers that they look forward to because it's like an extra payday for them. That like that's the bonus for winning the winning the battle is you know, looting all the stuff off the, uh, off the corpses. So well, um, I've got an idea, but it kind of runs a little contrary to that. So I could see why they wouldn't do it, but I mean, they got the kid, the women and the kids up on the hill or whatever. Why don't they let them run down and come in behind and do the looting for them? They got smaller hands. They can get inside the pockets. Yeah. Where'd you get that well, from? You know oh, I cut off a guy's finger. <laughs> I couldn't slide it over I the think- knuckle. <laughs> <laughs> well in fairness you know they did sort of mention in um one of the previous books about how um you know sometimes i wind up um teaming up with one of their neighbors and they sort of said the neighbors can take the the spoils of war because we're not interested in them basically oh, yeah, right, eh? yeah it's true um so i guess you know that's one of the things we're not going to raid the corpses feel free to you know <laughs> knock yourself <laughs> out there yours. yeah 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 yeah, um, so they talk about that, and I think they also extend this to sort of say they're going to respect the dead to a degree as well, in that they're going to allow their enemies to like be unhindered and like gather their dead and bury them or have to do whatever sort of rites that they need to do. Um, yeah, it's pretty noble by those their yeah. standards back then, isn't it? Yeah, you'd think so. Yeah, yeah. very much. Mm-hmm. This is where we move on to Discord. 
that's it. Yeah. Discord. Yeah, I have to be honest. I got. I, I sort of forgot that little bit a bit. I, I got really. We'll get to it later. But the next bit where they they start talking about sort of metaphysics, mm. I, I kind of got a bit hang up on. I spent most of my time in that, so I think I've forgotten most of this army stuff. So what's this stuff about Discord? <laughs> I like it. Um, I'm, I'm yeah. happy to explain this one a little bit. So uh, basically, if you're fighting the barbarians, it's war. But if you're fighting your neighbour as in uh, the, the Hel- Hel- Hellenistics, whatever they're called, um, then they don't call it war. They call it a discord. Um, hmm. Because we don't wage war on our fellow tribes and fellow neighbours. So, uh, And it won't be the same because we're not going to burn things down and pillage and take slaves. It's We have a disagreement and we're going to sort out that disagreement and reunite and be civilised and reconcile the relationship and uh i thought it was it was good language and it made me wonder if that language has been used recently in conflicts or not um i couldn't think of an example but i thought that, that's a very pol- politician-y way of of saying that i thought it was quite good mm. i thought they worded it really well um it's um it also yeah makes a lot of sense i, I was surprised I guess in this time of like lots of independent Greek states, well, not independent, but you know what I mean? Like they were all there, you know, somewhat independent, I suppose. Um, that there was still this sort of, I suppose, uh, nationalistic sort of sensibility here that, you know, we're, we're still all Greeks here. So, you know, we do need to try and make sure we keep the door open to have peace with our neighbours again. Um, so he sort of... Um, sets a rule, I think it was like that you could take was a year's worth of their national produce or something like that. And basically that's all they were going to do. So like take their crops or whatever it is, don't leave them without a roof over their heads and like slaying their children or something like that, you know, that's going to leave, a, um, I suppose, like a mark on their society for generations. Instead, you know, let the, let the warriors go and have their fight, have the battle, and then... Um, you know, leave them with their houses and they can rebuild and hopefully we can get back to being friends and, uh, you know, getting on with life. Um, yeah, well, the idea was that you could slow them down a little bit, but you're not going to create some long-term blood feud where it's like, you know, they killed my father and, you know, absolutely. all that sort of gear. Yeah. It's really trying but to minimalise it. Yeah, there's some like, quote there. I think it was like, a, no true lover of his country would bring himself to tear in pieces his own nurse and mother. And I thought uh, it's an interesting way to put it at the time. So, uh, yeah. But, yeah, if you're a barbarian, razz them to the ground. Um, <laughs> but look after your neighbours. Makes sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we've got our friend uh, Glaucon bringing back the challenge for uh, Sucrates. Yeah, so they, they sort of wrap up the war stuff, don't they? And then... Uh... Yeah. It's interesting that... Um... You know, I think previously I've thought the oldest writing about war is that the Art of War book. But um, mm. this isn't so much the Art of War, it's like the art of training in war, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. That's well, about the art, I guess you could say, yeah. It's, a, it's, it's more like the management of war <laughs> rather than the art of it. I think. <laughs> <laughs> a middle manager's guide to war. 
Yeah, that's just, that's kind of what it is. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, uh, Ruben. I'm going to let you introduce the next part because this is uh, your jam. So over to you, buddy. Oh yeah, I like this next bit. This is uh, sort of the stuff I was more expecting getting into this book. Um, but yeah, uh, as Lachlan alluded to, um, uh, Glaucon sort of comes in and, and tries to get Socrates back on track and get him to commit to something again. Um, and says to him, uh, yeah, I'll just read it. Uh, but it seems to me, Socrates, that if we let you go on like this, you'll forget that you still have to show us that the state we have described is practically possible. So he's like, yeah, all right, but is it even possible? Essentially is what he goes to him. He said, you got, you, you sort of said that you will. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, look, Socrates' response is just like typically submissive. Like he just, I don't know. I don't know whether Socrates is weak or just, or like, I don't know whether the humility is um, like, whether it's legit or whether he's just having a dig. But so every time he responds, I'm like, come on, Socrates, man up. Just because you don't have ah. shoes or a penny to your name, be a man. Um, I think there's a bit of humor, so, humor to it though, right? Like, yeah, I think, I think there's I think humor. Like, right? Yeah, I think he's just sort of like, acknowledging like taking the piss out of himself or something like get to the point <laughs> get to the punchline yeah. brother <laughs> this, is, this is socrates's response this is a very sudden attack i continued and you've no mercy on my delays i've just escaped two waves but the third which are you which are you which you're trying to bring down on me now i'm just like come on <laughs> <laughs> Mm. yeah so he's yeah, he, he's basically said to him um yeah but okay this is all good and well we get we're making some headway but is this any of this practically possible uh, yeah the version we had had this nice little sentence there it's like a, uh the more appeals of this sort which you make he said the more determined are we that you shall tell us how such a state is possible speak out and at once <laughs> stop <laughs> stuffing about get on with it <laughs> Yeah, it's like we're already we're already up to book five here, and we've had one answer yeah. in five books. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mine says, Stop "Get on, don't down. waste time." <laughs> yeah. So they talk about this um, for a while, don't they? And um, it's sort of Socrates yeah, is kind of like pointing out. I, I think like something around the, you know, the creation of this state is just an idea to demonstrate something hypothetical. Um, yeah, and he relates and like, it to a painting or something. Yeah, well, he was just, yeah, he sort of said like, this, well, this is kind of like we're trying to put up a hypothetical situation of the like best case scenario in which justice would flourish. Um, and I don't know, like he's kind of looking for a bit of an escape here, to be honest. Oh, big and, time! Yeah, big time! Yeah, that's right. Because he ba he basically yeah. says you can't really hold me to this being one hundred percent possible yeah. in real life and he compares it to yeah. like you wouldn't say that he, he basically says you wouldn't say to a painter who has the idea of a perfect beautiful mm. painting you wouldn't get upset with them because they can't quite realize that that uh that ideal yeah exactly um, and uh, and he basically it doesn't make it says, any less um, successful the fact that you can't 
necessarily physically manifest that to actually look at that perfection doesn't make it any less real as far as the concept goes. And, um, you know, if we can't guarantee its implementation, does that make it any less relevant is more or less what he's sort of saying. And then Glaucon yeah, that's a great way to put throws it. Him a bone and concedes and says, no, you're right. You know, it's a hypothetical and, um, okay, we'll let that particular issue go to rest. Right. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was, it was well argued to get a, 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 a pass on that one. I think yeah, so. I think so. Um, you know, uh, I think it's it basically a... saying that there's an ideal. Um, mm. and in reality, you're never going to hit that ideal, but it doesn't mean you don't aim for it. It's kind of what he says. So he's, he's, he basically says to Glaucon, you're going to have to settle. You have to settle for me just to, to show you in, in what, in what circumstances it's most likely that this would be a possibility. Yeah. So exactly. he, he's kind of, he's kind of lowered the bar a bit for himself there, but fair, I think fairly so. Yeah. Look, I mean, the only way he could possibly prove it was by trying to implement it really. Yeah, which and, would be, it's uh, an impossibility, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean they've got the, they've got a few drunks there around the fire. Uh, <laughs> it's not going to be enough to start their own city, you know. <laughs> well, it's going to like they said, it's going to take three generations for it to sort of uh, you know, <laughs> for the, the lies the, to permeate the law and the psyche. lie to be bedded in properly. So <laughs> yeah, that's a long burn to just find the answer. So <laughs> I wonder if um, anyone's yeah, made so... a uh, a game like in civilization how you've got all your different starting cultures i wonder if anyone's simulated this republic model to see how it would go like you know like start a start a civilization or age of empires game have classic rome versus egypt versus babylonians and then just drop this fictional Socrates, Socratic Build, Republic. Yeah, the Socratic Republic in and just simulate, you know, what happens after 10 generations? Do, do they get left behind or do they end up winning the well, game? I think that'd be interesting. I think, you know, Tim, the, the answer is going to be is that um, they can only generate a computer simulation um, based on opinion and not fact. So <laughs> we'll get to that. We'll nice, get to nice. that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back, back to you, Ruben. Um, yeah, so he um, and so then he immediately gets sheepish again because then the, the, the like the natural question is then, all right, well, in what circumstances could this be remotely possible? Then Glaucon's kind of like, well, all right, fine, talk to me, and um, and then <laughs> yeah, and then this is where Socrates does does his classic sort of, I don't really want to say. I know what I think, but I don't want to say. Anyway, so it, it turns out, in his opinion, for this to work in reality, the leaders have to be philosophers. Mm. Um, and um, Socrates basically said, I don't know whether you guys got this bit highlighted. I didn't, this, this should be a pretty good quote in here, but um, he basically says why he doesn't want to say it. Yeah, I got that bit too. <laughs> oh yeah, you got it. Yeah, go you go because I actually liked I like the wording a lot better in your you guys's version than mine. It's just a short bit. Uh, now then, I said, I go to meet that which I liken to the greatest of the waves. Yet shall the word be spoken, even though the wave break and drown me in laughter and dishonor. And do you mark my words? <laughs> laughter and dishonor. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, so I mean, laughter and dishonor. And then... 
And he's he's bang on though because I mean pretty much as soon as he puts that thing out of his mouth about it, you know the fact that uh, philosophers should be the you know the ruling the ruling class basically. Glaucon, you can see, is like super nervous. He's like, uh, are you sure you, you want to say that, Socrates? You know, have you looked around <laughs> this room? Um... <laughs> yeah, that's right. And he goes. You can't be surprised if a large number of decent people take their coats off, pick up the nearest weapon, and come after you with their shirt sleeves yep. tied up. <laughs> <laughs> Do something terrible to you. <laughs> yeah. So I'm actually not uh, not entirely sure why the um, like why such a reaction though. Um, one one explanation would be Socrates has basically said, "I'm the only philosopher here." The only way this works is if I'm the king. <laughs> that's that's one way to, to explain the reaction. Otherwise, I'm not entirely sure what they're... I took it the other uh, way around, that he's basically saying that none of you other bastards are fit to lead it because you're not really <laughs> philosophers. So really, yeah. if you've got a seat of power and you're not a philosopher, then you're a fraud. Yeah, you got so That's no how right I took it. That's he's right. basically calling yeah. them all out and saying, you know... You guys, if you're participating in that level, you're not really up to scratch, you know. So, you know, we just need <laughs> yeah, to right, just some of the you. people, some of the people around this fire are, um, are, I think, are in positions of power, and they go on to be in positions yeah. of power. So, uh, yeah. okay, yeah, that that makes more sense of it, actually. Yeah, I think he was just insulting basically everyone in the room. It was kind of <laughs> sort, of, sort of how I took it, but <laughs> but he also expects them to laugh at it. Is it a bit like? you know sheldon saying i should be in charge like is is it like the the, the dork in the room that everyone sort of yeah, tolerates maybe, but know. thinks is a bit of a dork it's like just just because you're really really smart that, that, that probably is part of part of what it is it's like just because you're really really smart and you know lots of stuff and you're really good at thinking doesn't make you a good leader hmm. maybe that's sort yeah. of the immediate reaction yeah well look I, I don't think he would put himself up there just from how Socrates has been sort of speaking the whole way through this book. And he always yeah. sort of maintains that, you know, he's someone there who kind of like pulls ideas out of other people in a way and just kind of assembles them. Um, so I don't think he'd actually would see himself as a leader. Um, I think he's just somebody who likes to ask questions and sort of pulls things together, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah, that's actually what they call, um, they call that the Socratic method. Yeah. It's yeah. like apparently a thing. Mm. There you go. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so look, I, I think that's just what's, I don't think he'd see himself sort of uh, going, well, you know, it should be me. And and look, in fairness, I think as he goes on to explain it, I think he sort of makes, makes it a little a bit, bit more clearer. Sense, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it does, he immediately goes into a bit of a suck up mode and he says, you're such a powerful ally that I must make an attempt. <laughs> yeah cow towing that's it so more or less like whilst he's sort of saying that like philosophers should you know rule the state um and you know replace the current leadership that's in there he he does backpedal and sort of says no actually look what you need is is balance so they should have um you know the power and spirit of philosophy but they should also have political greatness and wisdom as well and that's a bit of a uh, a bit cheeky because he's throwing wisdom in there which is what they talk about as basically being like 
sort of the food of philosophy anyway. So he's kind of like throwing a double philosophy in there. But yeah, anyway, I'm, I'm sure there's lots yeah. of people that well, would consider themselves wise. So. Well, yeah, Glaucon's natural response is, well, if you're saying these philosophers should be king, be king, you better you better define for us what a philosopher is. So that that yeah. essentially goes into the discussion where Socrates talks about what philosopher is, and that's where it gets really abstract. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah, this I was reading this just before having a nap, and my brain was finding this part very mm. difficult. Yeah. I was like, I, I'm reading words and I'm hearing white noise it's not computing <laughs> i need to sleep <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um so we were sort of talking about this before the podcast and um i think the best way to do it is to start at the end um, <laughs> well so, yeah, we're not watching a murder mystery it's all right we can do that <laughs> so essentially he, he he comes to the conclusion his conclusion is that um a philosopher is somebody who looks for and loves truth and learning. Um, and essentially what's in between is a discussion of um, what uh, what knowledge is versus what opinion is. That's probably the most, that's probably the simplest way I can think of to put it. Um, so he starts out by talking about um, what what it means to have an affection for something or a love for something. And he says, and there's actually a little really funny dig in here at Glaucon. Um, but he starts out by saying, well, Glaucon, wouldn't you agree that somebody who loves something loves loves it in its, in its whole, loves the whole of it, not just a part of it? Um, and Glaucon's like, well, what are you talking about, Socrates? Come on, man. And this is what... <laughs> This is pretty good, this bit, because Socrates then goes, well, you love your, uh, you love your young men. Um, look, I'm not going to go into too much detail whether he's talking about boys or young men. Let's just say young men for the sake of, uh, <laughs> um, for the sake of argument. Um, and he goes, you, um, and, and every time you see a, a young man with a different, you know, a different feature, you always you know, you always say that you love that particular feature. Like you just love all of them. So he goes, um, he goes, you praise a snub nose, calling it charming, a Roman nose you call commanding and one between the two beautiful of beautiful proportion. So essentially is what he's saying is you love that thing. You love, <laughs> you love young, men. You love young men. <laughs> yeah, basically, <laughs> because you love young men and you'll make any excuse for describing yeah. their beauty. And it kind of goes, because I don't remember if you guys remember, there was that bit way back when, um, where Glaucon objects and he goes, oh, but someone can still be beautiful even if they're not externally perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and um, Socrates basically goes, yeah, yeah, there was that kid that was a little bit deformed, but you still you still loved him. So look, it's all a little bit gross, um, <laughs> which, is why I, which is why I refer to them as, uh, as young men. Um, <laughs> but at, at, at any rate, he's trying to make a point that um, if you love something, you love it in its totality. You don't love a part of it. And if you really mm. love something, you will, you'll kind of try to understand it. Um, Can I just quickly um, say before yeah. you move on, Rude? Because there's yeah. just one thing from our, from our version of the text, which I, uh, I just had to crack up at because he... Uh, 
Yeah, go uh, for it. Socrates gives him the uh, the title of uh, being a man of pleasure, and uh, I just uh, cracked up at him sort of having that crack at Glaucon, <laughs> saying, "Chasing down all the young man in the flower of youth," you know. <laughs> yeah, he's like, "You're you're you're a pimp." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing which you will not say in order to not lose a single flower. <laughs> he's a deviant. <laughs> That's what he's saying. <laughs> yeah. He is. Anyway. But it then all makes sense now why Glaucon's like, yeah, and the person who fights the best, they get whatever they want, right? So I, I can assume yeah. maybe, maybe Glaucon is really good with a sword. Phrasing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Loves the sword. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're, so sorry, mate. Lockie, you're about to say something. He draws a parallel. I, yeah, I mean, look, that in typical uh, typical Socratic form, um, he draws a couple of parallels to sort of uh, flesh that out a little bit more, as far as an example goes. So he talked about the same sort of thing for a lover of wine and saying, do they only love a specific wine, or do they love wine in in all of its sort of varieties and all that sort of thing? And uh, you know, are they going to find any excuse to drink it? He's saying, yes, you're right. They'll they'll love them all. Uh, and uh, he talks about ambitious men and, um, you know, if they can't command an army, are they happy still to command? And maybe it's just the command, the rank and file or something. And he says, no, you're right. That, that's, that's true, the ambitious man. And, um, you know, if you desire any kind of like particular goods, um, you do desire the whole or the part. And again, they sort of land on the whole. So we keep going through these examples about the whole and it's, you know, trying to, trying to find the whole there. So... Uh, so then he draws the next one, which is the final sort of draw, which is uh, about uh, the philosopher. And, uh, you know, is a philosopher a lover of wisdom? And is it just, uh, is it of all wisdom or is it just part of it? And, um, you know, they sort of say, no, it's absolutely the whole. And that's what the, they sort of start talking about the philosopher being. So the typical long game with uh, Socrates. <laughs> yeah, that's right. He gets you to agree to all these different propositions, <clears> and then when you get to the one that he's really aiming at, he's like, "Well, now you have to agree with yeah, me." Yeah, because you, you agree just said with all these other Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they did a couple other funny ones here. They're talking about, you know, you know, if it's um, you know, uh, if you're a lover of wisdom, and um, if it's somebody with an interest and hunger for learning of any sort, uh, and if you've got some kind of curiosity, then that does that make you a philosopher? And um, they sort of say, "Well." No, because then everybody would be sort of a philosopher. Um, and they sort of narrow it down to being that philosophers are only if they are lovers of the vision of truth. This is where it got a bit weird for me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Start talking about awake or in dreams and... Uh... Yeah. Um, so pro just, yeah, it's pretty much on the cusp of that bit. He says... Um, then what about the man who recognizes the existence of beauty of beautiful things, but does not believe in beauty itself and is incapable of following anyone who wants to lead him to the knowledge of it. If he is awake, is he awake or merely dreaming? Look, isn't dreaming simply the confusion between a resemblance and the reality, which it resembles whether the dreamer be asleep or awake. That's the bit you're talking about. Um, so he's saying that you've got people, I, I, I suspect, I know we've sort of talked earlier about Socrates and there were sophists 
in his time, mm. which were just about influence and, and persuasion. And he wasn't a real big fan of it. I, f- I feel like there's another group of people here. I don't know if it's the same group as the sophists who have a certain approach to things that he has a very negative sort of idea of. Um, and this is what he's describing here. Is there's, there are people who that who will look at individual things and say they're beautiful, um, but don't believe that beauty is something in itself. Um, yep. I know that's a little bit abstract, but that's what he's <laughs> saying. Um, and and he says, and he's incapable of following anyone who wants to lead him to the knowledge of it. So he's kind of saying. Um, they just won't listen to this idea, which is obviously Socrates' position, that there is something about beauty or justice in itself. And real knowledge pertains to the knowledge of that thing. Now, I thought of an analogy. This might not, this is a bit ham fisted, but it's the best one I could come up with. Um, it's kind of like how you can look at a horse and you can say, that is a beautiful horse. And then you could look at a woman and you could say, that is a beautiful woman. But you wouldn't say that a woman is beautiful in the same way that a horse is, yet they're both beautiful. So what Socrates is saying is the philosopher is the person who looks at those two things and says there's a, a larger principle, a guiding principle, or something beyond those two particulars or individuals, and that's called beauty. And the philosopher is the person that loves beauty, not the individual things. And then he kind of has this sort of negative connotation on the person that is only interested in the particulars. That's where he starts to talk about them as if they're dreamy. He's basically saying they're not really awake. They don't really see the truth. They just mm. see individual things. Um, so that's a lot. But what what are you guys' thoughts on that? I'm following you there now. Um, yeah. that, that makes a bit more sense to me. And um, yeah, look, I can see that. It's almost like sort of trying to sort of yeah under under work out what the bottom line is of what makes all things beautiful rather than just focusing on what why why is that woman beautiful or that woman is or just recognizing that a woman is beautiful without understanding what beauty is in its entirety because because beauty is the the commonality of the whole rather than being the focus on the on the woman or the horse or whatever it was right yeah and that's basically what the, like i mean that's what he's been talking about the whole first five books you know what i mean mm. You can't just say uh, a man stealing from another man is injustice. That's a particular. Yeah. That's a particular yeah. instance. And But he's saying, no, we need to know what justice is in itself and is it valuable in itself? And that's what this whole discussion has been about. But to, yeah. ex- to accept that, he's essentially saying, you've got to accept that that's actually a possibility that you can know what justice is or beauty yeah. is. And that needs to be what a philosopher looks for. Hmm. Do you think the dream analogy can also be explained by like a photograph or a picture? Like I don't know. You... Have a punt. Well, like um, you know, a, a photograph of something beautiful may look beautiful, but it doesn't capture everything that is beautiful. Do you think that's what he's saying by the dream? Like it's too narrow, it's too specific, and so like like for example, using the horse and woman analogy. What makes a horse beautiful doesn't necessarily make a woman beautiful. In fact, I've heard the term before of that that person's a bit horse-faced. Like, <laughs> that's why I chose that analogy. I thought it could yeah. be amusing. I was waiting but, for uh, you to draw that out. Well, there you go. Well played. But um, 
you know, so to try and ask the question, you know, because like often you'll hear people say, you know, outward beauty doesn't matter; it's what's inside that counts. Well, that sounds philosophical, but it's not because what's inside a horse that counts, that makes it beautiful. Yeah. Um, yeah. These would be yeah. the questions I think a philosopher would ask. Would be like, well, but that's not beauty either, because well, it's not beauty in its entirety. It might it might have yeah. um, parts of beauty within its description, but it's not actually what beauty is. Do you think that's what the dream analogy is trying to indicate? It's just that it's like a uh, I'm trying to think of another way to describe it. It's like cordial. <laughs> it contains. <laughs> it contains. The syrup, well, but it's essence. not all the syrup. <laughs> it's like ten percent cordial syrup, ninety percent water. So that's not sure. cordial syrup. It's just cordial. Yeah, I hear. I hear. Yeah, look, another another example that I've heard is something like dogness. You can have a hundred different types of dogs, but they all share something that makes them a dog. And what is it that makes them a dog? And Socrates would might call that dogness. That would be like a more simple kind of version of it. Yeah, okay. They share they share the attribute of dogness, yet each of them are individually a dog. Like it, like it's pretty abstract. Like it is. It's abstract thinking. That's what it is. That's essentially mm-hmm. what he's saying. But it's a difficult question and I think most people can't be bothered trying to figure out those answers, which is what I think he's probably trying to get to. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I, if you if you said to me, and this is probably a whole other book somewhere by some philosopher, what is beauty? Well, you know, that's after just reading this little bit and having that sort of little, just you know, that, that that little seed of doubt put in there, like you would think, oh, beauty is something that's pleasing to the eye, or or beauty is something that's uh, so that makes me feel a feeling or and is uh, that not basically how the book started out with justice yeah yeah so it's it's a it's um interesting that they've just dropped this Mm. conversation at book five i almost feel like he should have led with this Ah, big time yeah i almost feel (laughs) like he should have gone well if we're going to discuss let's do something we all think we know better than justice which is what's attractive or what's beautiful you know Oh, I well, they had like it would have taken sort of, five books to get there too. Maybe, yeah. Yeah, and look, he, I think he he has introduced some of this in some of the earlier books as well. And I, you know, he he just likes to build on sort of concepts over time. I think as well. So maybe he's just kind of like working the crowd up to this point that they'd, uh, you know, could could follow along at this point in in time and just but, go, yeah, okay, that 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 sort of follows from that other discussion we had about beauty. So I can kind of I see the relevance. Right. I reckon that's his method. He's just like, and you can see it where he's like, I didn't want to, I, I knew this was going to be a big wave. I didn't want to come out and say it. But yeah. you knew that's he where he wanted to right. go. So I think you're right. It's like planting yeah. little seeds along mm-hmm. the way and waiting for them to grow. Yeah. I, and you know what? I think, you know, we were talking about this earlier. I think if we were to reread this book at the end, you'll be able to like circle those like little seeds he's sowing early on and go, oh, I know what he's doing right there. Hundred <laughs> percent. But it, yeah. I think, actually, realizing right now, is there a, there is no other way. 
you know, like for, for, for us asking that question now, what is beauty? Hmm. Like, how would we get to a good answer without doing something similar of, well, you need to pull it away from the specific example. You can't just say, yeah. you know, it's easier to answer the question, what makes a woman beautiful? than it is what is beauty you yeah. know and right yeah because if you kind of nailed it um you know set of criteria that you came up with for the woman to the other thing that's beautiful um then it doesn't hold for beauty does it you know it only holds yeah. for beautiful women i think yeah. you guys have nailed it because what he goes on to say and i'm a little bit less confident about this a little bit more sketchy on it but this is where he starts to talk about opinion and he goes, those that just look at the particular or the individual and says, oh, that's beautiful or that's, or that thing is beautiful. He's saying that is opinion yeah, because it doesn't take into account the whole, which is where he started out. Remember he's going, um, somebody who loves something loves it in its entirety. Yeah. So he's essentially saying that, uh, the person that just is is looking at the particular and going, oh yeah, I love that, or I love that, or I love that. That's basically just an expression of an opinion in the way that we would think of it today. It's not factual. It's not truth. It's yes. just, they find that particular thing beautiful, which yeah, is what you would see if, if the three of us had a discussion, we all looked at, we all looked at a horse um, we might find, <laughs> Good save. We might find <laughs> a different horse beautiful. And yeah. they might all be beautiful, but that would sure. be subjective. That would be an opinion. Yeah. And um, I, I think and yeah. that he's saying you can't have truth if you aren't looking at the whole, because you're only ever looking at part of something. So you can't understand the whole thing. You can't have all of that knowledge. So you can't be a philosopher in some senses, if you aren't looking at the whole, because you're, yeah, again, you're somewhere between knowledgeable and ignorant. So you're just using opinion, which sits in the so, middle. So next question then is, is the work that we've looked at so far even relevant? Because we're, we're still restricting justice to be about people. You know, is at some stage in this book, are they going to go, well, at the individual and the collective level, we still haven't captured the whole of what justice is because it's restricted by man or do they just accept that the interaction of man has to be part of the equation for justice to exist i i think they're talking very specifically that this is a problem for humanity and it's a problem for man i know he does bring lots of other parallels about uh animals, animals. and and you know na the natural order of things yeah but i think the the way of like um you know, cheating out of your neighbor and lying. And, and that, that's something that they'd called out earlier as being sort of unique to, to humans and something that, True. you know, we need to understand. So I think he's going to bring it back in there, but you might well be right that this could be like the, uh, the deep, dark black hole that we get sucked into for the next book. Um, <laughs> yeah, <maybe. right> now. <laughs> it's like the tree falling in a woods question. Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I'd be super interested to see how how they can pull this apart because um, yeah, it's um, it's really hard to think about something so in, in such an abstract way without bringing in specific examples. And how do you look at the whole? It's really difficult. Yeah, 
and he even he even goes on beyond that and sort of layers on top of it this idea that um when you're looking at things like beauty and justice those things have to be eternal and unchangeable like eternal unchanging things and it's just like all right now you just like now it's just getting really like out there mm. i'm not saying he's wrong or he's right i'm just saying like it, he really starts to make some solid claims, you know, like. It's like he's saying it's like a law of nature and it's just that we haven't discovered the key to understand that formula that already exists and we just need to understand this formula to get this broader sort of sense of something. Yeah, it, yeah. it, it really is though. Like it's a really fundamentally important way that he sees the world because he's saying... Mm. I think you touched on something really, really interesting there. Cause it's like, um, yeah, beauty or justice is something that exists and it's something that we discover as opposed to what he's talking about with the people who are obsessed with particulars who would, mm. would say it's no, it's something that's either that's created or manufactured. And that throws us right back to the start of the book where he's like, where, where you had the opposing opinion was, well, justice is the, uh, opinion or, or opinion of the, of the powerful, down. the will of the yeah. powerful. You know what I mean? He's like that, that puts justice in this category of something that's created. Mm. And Socrates' whole thing is basically, no, 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 no. These are things that we discover. There are things that exist. There are things that don't change and we discover them and we have to work to discover them. And I think he's, what he's saying is the leader, the person that, that leads a country has to be somebody who thinks that way and not somebody who thinks, I can create that. It's not something that's discovered. It's something that's manufactured. Um, yep. And I think when you think about that in a really practical sense, I know personally me, my opinion is he's right. You don't want somebody who's in power who thinks that they can redefine that thing or create that thing or manufacture that thing. No, having, said, yeah, having said that, you could have somebody who believes that they're discovering what justice is and they're wrong. And that could be equally damaging, but um, yeah. Look, as far as I go, I, I'm I'm on board. I think I think he's onto something really important. Mm. Yeah, look, I, I'm, I'm I like the concept, um, but we haven't had a a wink of how we're going to explain it yet. So, uh, yeah. is it, it practical? It's, it's, is what you're saying? Well, well, I think the thing Settle is settle down, Glaucon. <laughs> well, what, I think, what I think is, is that he's found the right question to ask we just yeah. maybe I'm not sure if he's got the answer yet that's all yeah yeah oh yeah, yeah no I agree with that uh yes let's move along I think that's pretty close that's, to that's pretty much where he ends yeah it ends a bit wanna... abruptly this one doesn't it it does is some do one of you guys want to read the last a uh, little bit of your books. I just, I'm interested to hear Where from the me? flowery yeah. language. I've got it handy. Um, oh, do you want me to go, it. Tim? Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Um, but those who see the absolute and eternal and immutable may be said to know and not to have opinion only. Neither can that be denied. The one love and embrace the subjects of knowledge, the other those of opinion. The latter are the same, and I dare say you will remember who listened to sweet sounds and gazed upon fair colours, but would not tolerate the existence of absolute beauty. Yes, I remember. Shall we then be guilty of any impropriety by calling them lovers of opinion rather than lovers of wisdom? And will they be very angry with us for describing them thus? 
I shall tell them not to be angry. No man should be angry at what is true. But those who love the truth in each thing are to be called lovers of wisdom and not lovers of opinion. Assuredly. That's basically what I had there. Yeah, yeah that's good. <laughs> yeah, so it's basically saying that those of opinion will be angry. <laughs> yeah. Shut up. That's the implication. Don't know the truth. And the, I, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, and I think that's why he has a dig at them earlier on and calls them dreamers. Mm. Mm. And there's something in that too, because if your position is essentially that uh, these things are not concrete and I can create them, I think you are a dreamer. You're creating yeah. something with your mind. Hmm. Yeah, it's not wrong. Well, well uh, anyway, that's what that's what Socrates thinks, and I agree with him on this one strongly. If you can't tell, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, look, I, I do too, as it stands. I'm just curious to sort of see what uh, what comes. See where it plays out. Yeah, because it's it's like he set the foundation, but I want to see him uh, start to throw up the walls. So, uh, <laughs> book five, and he sets the foundation. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> We've seen him knock them down before. <laughs> yeah. So we will uh, move on for next episode. I'm guessing. Yeah. And see if they answer the question. Um. All right. Well, let's uh, let's quickly move on down to the pub for lots of us. Uh, I don't know if you guys noticed last week because I have to put it in post production. But uh, we have a jingle. What? Oh, I missed it. You did. You did. Um, you didn't run it past the boys. You just you just put it out there. Yeah, he did. Uh, yeah, he did. I think I gave it to you guys in Messenger. You did. You, you did. Oh, I must have missed it. I must have missed it. <laughs> well, Lock- uh, yeah, Lachlan definitely gave me the thumbs up with it. Yeah. What, right. what did you say it sounded like? Two out of like? three is enough. Uh, I, I can't remember. I think it was like uh, the. Oh, that's right. It's like uh, I could see myself in the agora or something like that. Yes. You know. Uh, yes. Yeah, with this music playing. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so we won't spend too I must much have time. Missed that. I was like, hub. I was going to say I must have missed that. I was like too busy sending you links to like eighties action films like Battle Truck. Oh, I meant to yeah, click on probably. that. I haven't uh, clicked on it. Yeah. <laughs> All right, anyway, review saying? for that. So the the pub for lots of us for this week, just a quick one. We got a Uber Eats uh, last week, and the Uber Eats driver uh, offered um, us a copy of the Quran, which I'm holding up on camera, with some brochures. And I thought that's really cool um, because I've been meaning to get a copy to read it for a couple of years, and. Um, but he's super nice about it. Didn't didn't force it. Didn't like sneak it in the bag or anything like that. But just sort of went, oh, would you like this? And uh, my wife was like, yeah, sure. Because I'm like, yeah, we thought we would like that. Um, so I gave the dude a good tip for yeah, handing out a free book. Um, so interested to have a read of that soon. I've always intended to read it and get my head around it. But I just thought that was. Um, is that what it's we're doing random. after Plato's Republic? Because if that's what we're doing after Plato's Republic, I don't know whether I can hack it. <laughs> I'm not against the Quran, but can we, we've got to do something a little bit lighter than this. <laughs> yeah, I think you had some suggestions prior to us recording. What were those? <laughs> uh, green eggs no. and ham, or maybe uh, cat in a hat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know how Jordan Peterson does the psychological significance of biblical stories? I wonder if you could do the philosophical significance of Dr. Zeus stories. 
<laughs> yes. Surely that's I'm a thing. <laughs> yes. I reckon. I reckon. Yeah. Anyway, I thought that was really cool. I thought it was, um, uh, you know, he's, he's obviously trying to get the word out, and I thought it was a good use of his opportunity. I'm not sure what Uber Eats policy is on distributing yeah, religious texts yeah. whilst making deliveries, but I appreciated <laughs> right. it. It saved me having to buy a copy, so I think it's pretty cool. Yeah. I wonder how many yeah, people would be upset by that. I'm sure uh, some would I be. I suppose you yeah. couldn't. You couldn't really get upset though, because it's like he's offering it. He's not like, like you said, he didn't sneak it in the bag, which would be hilarious. But yeah, if if he, yeah, and look, uh, like you said, if he's being um, pretty cool about it, just saying, hey, don't have to have it, but just if you're interested, I've got one. Do you yeah. want it? That, that's all right. Nice. I thought it was yeah. cool. But yeah, yeah. Um, Lachlan, like, I saw you were at a. Uh... Walk around with that. That's it. Yeah, I I saw uh, Lachlan. You were at a uh, a car show doing some photos. Yeah, man. Super cool. Uh, is that coffee a, with cars, or is that the? No, it was a, sort of a <clears throat> like a, a post-COVID reopening of our local sort of car cafe. Um, nice. Uh, Benzin, which is up at Dural, and um, it was uh, that they had a JDM sort of car meet on Friday night, and it was awesome. I mean, what does uh, JDM mean for those who aren't car people listening? Yeah, sorry. Uh, like Japanese domestic market, so. Basically, around cars that are made in Japan. So, um, yeah, it's um, it was really cool. I think just people were just in a really good mood to be out of lockdown and being able to go and do stuff. It's the, the first sort of car meet I've been to since lockdown. So, um, yeah, I got the camera out and uh, took my son along, and yeah, we had a ball. Nice, nice. Took some, took some photos. Had they had uh, Japanese food there, and um, yeah, good vibe, good people. And, um, you took some photos. Do you mean seventy-three? <laughs> uh, yeah, probably more. I might have narrowed it down. To <laughs> Facebook says seventy-three. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Nice. But uh, yeah, that's good. I hadn't been out there uh, taking photos for a while, but it's something I really enjoy doing. So um, it was good to get out and do that sort of thing. Nice. It's nice. And. Uh... Ruben, our, our uh, well, all three of us know him. Our, our mate uh, Mick has pulled through surgery in his home now, and uh, I saw you guys were playing a game. What game were you playing? Was it Left for Dead or something? What, what was it? Uh, Back for Blood, which is I think it's supposed to be like a sequel to Left for Dead. Back for Blood. How is it? Any good? Oh, I don't know. We didn't get far, we didn't even go we didn't get past the first level. So um, I don't know. I, it's probably because Mick pumped it up to the hardest difficulty setting because he thought that was hilarious, but. <laughs> Um, but um, it's 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 probably hard to gauge off the back of that. But we had a bit of fun with it. Yeah, we went on fun. for too long because Mick is Mick uh, Mick needs his rest. Um, yeah. Back surgery will do that to you. Hundred percent. All right, we'll wrap it up there. Um, for those of you listening at home, thanks for joining us. And um, we're halfway through the book now, so Woo-hoo! happy days. And uh, you know, just just like working through this book, the Republic wasn't built in a day, and neither are middle-aged men. So thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time. See you boys.